Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. In our line of work, yeah. in my line of work, and yeah. sometimes your line of work, <laughs> uh, we travel a lot. And it's not easy actually being away from home when you're filming in different city or for a few months at a time. And I like my family to feel as comfortable as possible. So what do I do? I go on Airbnb and I look up all of the houses in the areas that I am going to be filming. And mm-hmm. I see if I can find the absolute best house for my family when That's I'm right. working. Actually, I worked in Albuquerque. I have a house in Albuquerque and I rent it as an Airbnb. You sure do. So there you go. So think about it. Your home sits empty while you're away. Why not have your empty space earn some extra income? Hosting is a lot easier than you might think. You don't need an Airbnb, a whole house. You could just you could just host your spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. (laughs) Sibling rivalry. That's good. Joe Dispenza. <gasps> Ollie, this was so interesting. This I was love very, very, this episode. This was an exciting one for not only myself, but for Aaron and everyone in my life because Joe Dispenza is a force. Dr. Joe Dispenza, we recorded this at the beginning of the quarantine. Mm-hmm. You know, what he told us has been really helpful in staying sane. Oh, yeah. I've honestly been using some of his sort of techniques. Aaron, once we um, recorded it, she put the book, his book on my bedside. So I actually started reading it for the first time. Which book? He's got multiple books. Yeah, it was... uh, You Are the Placebo, Becoming Supernatural. That's the one mom's reading. The mom loves that one. I know. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. That's it. I'm currently breaking the habit of being myself. That's okay. what I'm doing right now. I'm currently realizing that I am the placebo. Yes, this is great. Then the three of us can get together and become <laughs> a superhuman. <laughs> Our whole family's reading different Joe Dispenza books. It was really interesting and honestly inspiring. He's a neuroscientist, mm-hmm. a researcher, a lecturer mm-hmm. whose work really revolves around how we can rewire our brains. And yeah. 
the power of the mind, you know, yeah. manifesting, how, changing the way you think can change your health. And, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of the therapy that we've been in for the last however many years as well. I mean, it's similar to that, you know, how thought can change, can change the way you feel and think and emote. Yeah. I mean, our thought patterns also how programmed they are, you know, Mm -hmm. and trying to sort of understand them and break them down. And even just, you know, he, we didn't get into it because he talks about it a lot in other things. So I would, if anybody really wants to know how Dr. Dispenza became passionate about what he, what he does, it really started from him having an accident and that it, during that accident, his healing process and the entire experience that he went through, the choices he made, how they basically ended up informing his future work. And, mm-hmm. and it's so fascinating because it's all about how powerful our mind is and how we can heal ourselves. Granted, I think he's clearly a very practical man he talks about that we are all different Mm -hmm. you have to listen to yourself that's the whole point you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean our brains it's it's just wild how powerful they are and he Mm -hmm. does a lot of uh, workshops that teach people how to really start to tap into that well He's a neuroscientist too, so it's not that he—he didn't just. There's science behind all of this as well, you know. Anyway, yeah. this was a, this was a very informative, exciting episode. And by the way, I just say, especially now, you know, in the times that we are living in, I have been using sort of these ideas, and I, I wouldn't really call them techniques, but just that mind-body experience because. Anxiety is high, and and in the last week or so, I've been going through some shit, just ang- ang- feeling anxious, and I've been having to sort really? of center myself a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I'm just tired of the everyday. The monotony is finally getting to me. It's about oh. I'm trying to live in the moment, but every moment is exactly the same. So mm. it's like a strange, you know, parallel universe in a strange in a way. But, but yeah, uh, I think people are going to start getting antsy and. You know, real change happens when things get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, because it has been a while now, what starts happening. I think if you really stick with it and get through it, you mm-hmm. there will be a transformative experience, you know, yeah. instead of getting restless and careless. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, so please enjoy this episode with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Enjoy, you'll love it. First of all, I want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. I'm a big fan of your work. I just finished You Are the Placebo. I think we should just jump right in. We are literally facing not only something that is very scary for a lot of people, but I think is probably causing an enormous amount of anxiety. And so much of your work is about manifestation and how we heal our bodies and how powerful our mind is. And I guess immediately, I just want to say, how how do you talk to people when right now there there is so much fear that they're facing? So in order to actually kind of switch your your brain power, it, it seems almost impossible right now mm-hmm. for, for how a to lot change of your mind. Well, I mean, listen, uh, living in fear is living in survival. And in survival, you're activating a primitive nervous system, the fight or flight nervous system, a branch of the autonomic nervous system. 
and you're mobilizing enormous amounts of energy for some threat perceived as real or imagined in your outer environment. And you arouse the body with this rush of energy. And you are uh, taking most of the energy that you use for your immune system, uh, for growth and repair, for long-time building projects. And if you keep that one alarm system on all the time, there's no energy in your inner environment uh, for, for restoration and repair. So the immune system dials down and people who live in fear are more susceptible uh, to infections because mm. their immune system is compromised. And we've done research. Uh, we took uh, a large group of people, 120 people, and we did functional brain scans on them. And we put them through four days of training. And we asked them to trade fear and ang anger and resentment and impatience for an elevated emotion, a heartfelt emotion, uh, gratitude, uh, thankfulness, appreciation, a love for life, a joy for existence. And all we wanted them to do was cultivate these elevated emotions uh, for 10 minutes a day, three times a day. And we measured also their stress hormones called cortisol before they went into the study. And we measured a chemical called immunoglobulin A or IgA. It's your body's primary defense against bacteria and viruses. It's your body's natural flu shot. In fact, it's better than any flu shot. And we allowed people to open their hearts just uh, uh, for 10 minutes, three times a day. At the end of four days, we took those same measurements again. And aside from significant changes in their brain, their immune system, their immunoglobulin levels went up 50%. Uh, they, they created their own pharmacy uh, of uh, anti-infectious chemicals. And when you open your heart, you activate uh, your immune system in a very powerful way. So people who understand that T cells in their body, knowledge and information really allows people to really start to question uh, uh, what is true and what isn't. And uh, your body's fighting viruses right now. And those T cells that your, your thymus gland makes in right in your heart center, uh, they have little trumpets on the end of them, T cell receptors that, that attack viruses and, and bacteria. And when those T cells are active, uh, there's not a chance uh, for people to become sick. So then if fear can weaken the organism because it's responding in emergency all the time, then when a person starts feeling gratitude and kindness and care, their body is so objective that it doesn't know the difference between the outer event that's creating that elevated emotion or the emotion they're creating by thought alone. And if the environment signals the gene and that's epigenetics and the end product of an experience in the environment is an emotion, that person's signaling genes ahead of the environment and they're making antibodies and those antibodies actually fight infections. So people just need the proper knowledge and the proper information so they can begin to see that there's an intelligence in their body that that does healing. And the bigger question is, why do certain people get the virus and other people don't? <laughs> it's a big question. Well, it's because there's an inner order and, and people have to understand how to self-regulate and make those changes. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm done. I'm going to go meditate right now <laughs> and find love in my life at this moment. That was beautiful. I mean, 
It makes so much sense. And you're saying there's science behind no, no, this. It, the science is the contemporary language of mysticism. It's science now that's demystifying the mystical. And, and if you can combine quantum physics with neuroscience and neuroplasticity and psychoneuroimmunology, the mind-body connection and epigenetics, all of, all of those new sciences point the finger at possibility. And you start asking the bigger fundamental question. Well, you understand then if stress weakens the organism, and there's three types of stress, physical stress, trauma, accidents, injuries, chemical stress like diabetes or blood sugar levels or, or toxins in the environment and, and emotional stress. And that's just about everything that people respond to in their environment. All of those things knock the brain and body out of balance. And people who are out of balance tend to be more prone to disease because the body's not in the proper state of homeostasis and health and repair happens in homeostasis. And most people, when they feel fear, when they feel anger, uh, when they feel sadness and pain, they don't think that they have any control over those emotions. And the research says you absolutely can change those emotional states. And when you do, you start seeing the side effect called people getting happier. It's the their body is being freed from uh, the past and emotions are a record of the past. So people start transforming themselves, their lives and their bodies transform. Dr. Mm. Joe, my children are causing me massive imbalance right now. <laughs> 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 I need help. <laughs> Any advice for those of us who have three children, young children in the house who you know, even when you're trying to sort of have these wonderful kind of peaceful moments, it's just absolute mayhem. Right. Before you answer the question, though, I just want to give my side of things with my kids, which is the opposite. Okay. Because, yes, they have to do school. Of course, they have to do their, their homework and this. And that. But I'm like, you guys, we're in quarantine. All right, let's get it done. But I'm going to have no stress right now for all of us. Like, let's just ride this out, do the best that we can. Yes, Wilder, you're going through puberty, and I'll deal with that shit. But for the most part, ah, hey, let's just roll with it. That's mm. We have different ideas. Right. Well, I always say parenting is the fast track to enlightenment. I have three children that are all older now. But uh, I think that there are certain things... Um, uh, because children have mirror neurons and mirror neurons are what are called empathy neurons. They, they model behavior. In fact, when a lioness is teaching her cubs how to hunt, uh, when the cubs are observing her hunt, hunting, they turn on the same circuits in their brain as if they were actually hunting. So they're priming their brain, the brain circuitry by observation. And so children have mirror neurons and they emulate or they model behavior. Um, so it's not so important what you say to them. What's more important is how you say it to them. And they're going to imitate and model your behavior. So Terrible Twos is a great example. You know, your kid's cute and young and they turn one year old and all of a sudden they got wheels and they're running around the house and they're picking up the vase and turning it over and they're knocking things over and they're eating detergent under the sink and you're yelling, <laughs> no, 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 for a whole year. And they turn two years old and you say, put your shoes on. And they say, no, because that's where they're, they're actually emulating behavior. So so we have to teach children. One of the most important things is to teach them by demonstration how to be. And, and that requires being present with them and finding a way to communicate with them so that it makes sense to them. 
And so never, ever, ever try to reason with your children when they're emotional because no new information can enter their nervous system that isn't equal to the emotional state they're in. They're not going to hear it. It's not going to land for them. Teach them how to change their emotional state, whether it's getting the jump on a trampoline, teaching them not when they're emotional, but at other times, maybe before they go to bed, how to open their heart and say, now, now we've been practicing all that heart opening for this time right here. This is the time. I know it's hard. I know it doesn't feel natural. But if you can do this now and change your emotional state, wow, imagine who you be when you get older. So, so we're spending more time with our children because people are, are confined to the same space. But there are ways to communicate with children that are so effective in helping them understand there are times to play, there are times to work, there are times to do certain things, and there's times to do things that you don't like to do that you have to do anyway. And it's all okay. So I think, I think uh, more people in a closed environment, of course, uh, gets a little bit more intense, but... Um, but I do think that uh, when we work with children, if we teach them how to change their emotional states, I think uh, we can make some big changes and now demonstrate. Does, now, now, does that does that go with adults too, where you shouldn't reason with your partner if they are emotional oh, forget or not? It. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that goes with that. That's adults as well. Like if my no, no, if my wife is emotional and it's 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 happening, there is no reasoning. Should I I should take a step back? No, no, you should allow her to have that until she's done. Right. And then when she's done, she's over the emotion. You see, when we're emotional, there's always a gap between the way we appear, the way things appear and the way things really are. And if we react during that period where we're altered, we'll always regret, I should have never said that. I should yep. have never done that. I should have never sent that email. I should have never thought that because yeah. those survival emotions alter our perception of reality. And we don't see things how they are. We see things how we are. And so it just kind of inflames the situation. I've always said that, I've always said that our default, and, and correct me if I'm totally off base, but I feel like our sort of default, you know, emotion is fear. I feel like we always default to fear. I feel like it's a primal thing almost. We don't default to happiness. You know, we default to fear. I feel like that's a universal thing. Yeah, I think fear is hardwired into the nervous system yeah. uh, in the survival centers. Uh, and so, but the fear typically is created from the feeling like things are getting worse in your life, the the perception uh, that um, you can't control or predict something. When, you, when you're stepping into the unknown a lot of times, the unknown is what switches on that, that fear response. And and one of the things that's so valuable for people is to teach them how to be present uh, when they're in the unknown. And that, that again, uh, is what meditation and some of, the, some of the work we've done and the research we've done to teach people how to overcome that. And, and um, it, takes, it takes a lot of awareness and a lot of energy, but boy, you see people uh, with uh, completely different brains uh, when they do it. What are your thoughts just on the coronavirus, on COVID-19? Well, again, um, I think people uh, should practice all the the right things with uh, uh, reducing infection. I think that's reasonable. Um, as I was saying, uh, we have uh, a very uh, strong capacity in our body to heal. And um, uh, we shouldn't live in a state of fear around this because I think fear is going to actually cause us to feel more 
vulnerable to something in our environment. Uh, but but I do think that um, it will pass. I do think that um, we'll survive it. I do think that people really need to understand, though, that they have the ability to to make their own immune responses, and and the body uh, can do that. Uh, 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 keep them healthy and, and help them with it. But um, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time obsessing about it. I'd spend more time about seeing this time as a great opportunity to retreat from our lives and break the routine and, and to learn and to study and, and to come out as somebody else, to step out into the world as an evolved version. The thing is, can everybody heal themselves, though? You know what I mean? Like, could, is this is this a universal thing? You know, and does it t- take some people, uh, is it harder for some people you know, to heal themselves? Because if that was the case, could could we be rid of all disease without medicine? I mean, I'm going to the extreme, of course, but... Well, that's a, you know, this, the, we are, um, this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. I think this is a time in history to know how. And because information is so readily available, we don't need an authority. We don't need a doctor. We don't need a priest. We don't uh, need a government. Uh, uh, we don't need a teacher to gain information. We can gain information. We have access to it. And, and that gives people, um, their, gives them uh, take, to take their power back to some degree and gives themselves permission to change. So, so when we started on this journey um, 15, 20 years ago and seeing how the mind could influence the body, if you said to me, um, do you think you would ever see what I'm currently witnessing right now in our research? I would say to you maybe once or twice, but this is like the four minute mile. Um, we have blind people seeing, we have deaf people hearing, we have people that have been, been confined to wheelchairs, stepping out of wheelchairs. I mean, this is to me, I'm more surprised, I swear, than, than anybody. We've seen people with a very significant um, stage four cancers uh, go into remission, rare genetic disorders. I mean, crazy stuff, tumors disappearing, crazy stuff. And so I think that theoretically um, there, there's a great capacity to heal. I think um, uh, certain people understand the what and the why better than others. Um, but when we see people make significant strides and they stand in front of an audience and they tell their story about their health and their diagnosis and their limitation, And then they talk about their own personal change and transformation. And then they show their scan and the condition was there. And then the condition is not, it disappeared. Uh, And the person in the audience that has the same condition, who, who has the same health condition sees what they're doing or what, what they've done. Uh, That four minute mile is speaking to them and telling them that they're looking at truth right in front of them. And a collective consciousness starts to emerge. So, not everybody heals, no. And, and it's, this is not for everybody. My mother would never not see her doctor, no matter what I said to her. She just had to go to her doctor. She was indoctrinated into that. But people now are wanting to participate in their health and, and they want to understand. And so knowledge then allows them to apply what they learn, to practice it, to repeat it. And then 
They see the scientific data that we have. You can change your gene expression. You can lengthen your life. You can make your immune system stronger. You can make your brain work better. You can make your heart work better. This is incredible. It's so exciting because I the things that I've always been, I've always been passionate on what people would always call alternative medicine or practices that I've found that have really shifted my energy or, or focus. And now starting to see science catch up with so many things that we've known, but have always sort of been seen as either Eastern philosophy or mm-hmm. considered alternative. And now it's really at the forefront of scientific uh, research is exciting. Um, it's really exciting. I'm super excited. About I think it. we should explain to people who haven't read your work or listened to you some of the basic process behind healing and well, a small portion of my work has to do with healing. I think, I think uh, the side effect of a person's change, personal transformation, is a change in form, a change in their physical body. And, and I believe that your personality creates your personal reality. And, and your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's listening to this podcast has created the present personal reality called their life. Which means then, if you want to create a new personal reality, a new life, that means you're going to have to change your personality. That means you're going to have to start thinking about what you've been thinking about and change it. It means you're going to have to become conscious of your unconscious habits and behaviors and modify them. And then you're going to have to look at emotions that have been created from past experiences. And you're going to have to decide, do these emotions belong in my future? And I think that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and it doesn't work. We literally have to become someone else. So uh, if we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day, and 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before, and you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny, if 90% of your thoughts are the same thoughts as yesterday, then your life is going to be pretty much the same because the same thoughts lead to the same choices. The same choices lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors create the same experiences and the same experiences produce the very same emotions. And those same emotions influence our same thoughts. And now your biology stays the same. So then there's a principle in neuroscience that says that nerve cells that fire together, wire together. So if you keep thinking the same thoughts, keep making the same choices, keep doing the same thing, keep creating the same experiences that stamp the same networks of neurons into the same patterns, all for the familiar feeling called you. And you've done that for the last 10 years. By the time you're 35 years old, you become a set of hardwired programs that function just like a subconscious computer program. So 95% of the person's personality is memorized. Their habits, their behaviors, their emotional reactions, their thoughts, they're happening behind the scenes of their awareness. So the first step to change is to become conscious of those unconscious states of mind and body. And disentangling from those programs takes a lot of energy and awareness. And most people would rather turn on the TV or get on their cell phone or get distracted by something from their environment to really want to make a change. And unfortunately, it takes crisis and trauma and disease and diagnosis and break down for people to finally decide to change. And my message is, why would you want to wait for that? That you can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering, or you can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration. So when a disease falls away out of a person's body, they will tell you 
that disease existed in the old personality. I'm somebody else. There's, I'm not that same person. And they didn't visualize anything go away. They understood the concepts of neuroplasticity and epigenetics and how to signal new genes. And genes yeah. make proteins. And they, 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 they became their own genetic engineer. And yeah, it was hard. And they had to sit with themselves and overcome their fear. And it, it change is uncomfortable because the moment you decide to do something differently, you're going to feel uncomfortable because you're leaving the known, you're leaving the familiar and stepping into the unknown. A lot of times when you do any sort of transformative work, things change. Of course, of course. And because, because most people see you based on the memory of you. They see you from the past. So when people show up and they're no longer predictable and they're happy for no reason, they're like, what is up with her? Why is she? Oh, she did that thing because they're still in the known, right? They're still clinging to the suffering. They're so happy being unhappy that it never occurred to them that they could lose that and become somebody else. Yeah, so she was so much more so, fun when she didn't really ask me how I was doing. <laughs> right. I think, I think, I think it's, uh, it, it, obviously I think it's easier said than done. You know what I mean? It, this takes work. I mean, I, I, I only can, I only say this because what you seem to be describing, at least a part of it is cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, it's what I have been doing for the last four years and it's, it, it just resonates with me so much, but it does take work. You know, it's, it's not, it, it, at least for me personally, it's not so easy just to change your mind, to think something because I know that our thoughts create our emotions that would create, you know, sure. how we feel. So let me, re uh, so let me respond to that, Oliver, because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. But I say, I say you already know how to do it. I think we are wired to be creators. I think everybody on this call, I think everybody who's in this interview has all done something great in their life. And, and what did you do when you did something great? You got a vision, you got an idea, you got this wild thing that took place in your mind and you got so fascinated with that thought that the thought in your mind became the experience and you began to feel the emotion before the event. And you were like, whoa, that was, I, I think I can do that. And, and you started thinking about all the choices you had to make and all the things you had to do. And, uh, you know, you started thinking about all the goals and experiences you wanted to create. And every time you wrote those down, you felt more of those emotions and you were changing when you were doing that. And, and then people who are really in the process of change, they understand that they got to stop thinking, I can't, it's too hard, I'll never change, I don't feel good. They got to, they got to, they got to get beyond those thoughts and they got to start making different choices. And the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before. Right. And that takes, but that some, takes but, effort. But aren't some of those choices, haven't they been cemented? in your trauma, cemented in childhood trauma, meaning it's, you have to chip away at that cinder block in order for those choices to be free, essentially. Well, well, yeah, probably, probably uh, five years ago, I would have said yes to that. But I have to tell you that we've kind of figured out a formula, a way for people uh, to make very significant strides and changes once they understand the science of what they're doing and we can give them the proper feedback. So you can get into that operating system. You know how to change your brain waves and do it properly and enter the operating system where that trauma exists. You can rewrite the program. And all it is is just uh, learning how to do anything. And we've we've seen people do it now in our research and the, and the universities that are studying us are amazed that our students can do it so quickly. Is this what you do in your workshops? Do you kind of take people through that process? So we ask people to come to a week-long event. 
and we ask them to retreat from their lives and and to disconnect from the constant stimulation that reminds them of who they think they are as a personality. Now, don't see the same people. Don't go to the same places. Don't do the same things. Now, let's fill your brain with knowledge. Uh, we now know every time you learn something new, you make those new connections in your brain. That if you don't repeat it, review it, and think about it, those circuits are going to prune apart. So if learning is making the connections, then remembering is maintaining them. So then get people to share about the information, talk about it, build a model, install the hardware in preparation for the experience. Once people understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and they assign meaning to it, throw them into the experience. So we do this with people and we keep building it more and more as the week goes on and and um, my God, we do all kinds of scientific measurements at a lot of the events. And you see people at the end of the week, uh, we see miracles. We see these amazing changes take place in people's health and in their life. And, and we, have over, we have hundreds of testimonies of, of not only just change in people's health, but the new job, the new career, the new relationship, the mystical experience, a transcendental moment. You learn the formula, Oliver, and all of a sudden... Uh, it's no different than hitting a golf ball. You just start getting better at it. You start enjoying it. It's no longer work. It's like, ah, this is where I go to create coherence and balance. Joe, let me say one thing. Hitting a golf ball is always work. I will. <laughs> I, I, was a pl- I was a plus two golfer in my time. And shit, man, it was always work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you got a point there. <laughs> but that is, man, that is... Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but you know, I, I I've talked about it on this podcast numerous times. But I don't know if you've heard of the Hoffman <laughs> Institute. Yes, I went there and had the most amazingly transformative experience of my life, and it was very similar to a lot of the things that you're talking about. Well, to answer Kate's question, a whole week, uh, and you get the first two days. If you get people to overcome themselves, I give them numerous opportunities to overcome themselves and apply that formula. I give them numerous opportunities to connect. And sooner or later, they start understanding. Sooner or later, they start locking in. And then after that second day, then it's all about creating reality. And then it's all about creating a future. And let's let's program your subconscious. Let's condition your body to a, a new emotion of the future. Let's change your energy. Let's mm-hmm. signal new genes. Let's walk as it. Let's stand as it. Yeah. Let's become it. Yeah. You will see people starting to do this and doing these walking meditations. And yeah. at the end of a week, so uh, you just you see a lot of miracles, a lot of crazy things. It's so great. And you know what, Kate, going back to the kids... You know, this is, it's a great, um, we need to sort of bring this into the next generation. You know, if, we, if the parents can sort of, you know, put this onto their children, they can grow up from the age of six feeling this way. So how do you talk to children? How do you, how do you, how do you break this down for kids, you know? Mm. Well, I think, I think kids meet information at different ages. You know, I mean, you would never, I would never want to teach my young children when they were young, that they create the reality. That's not a healthy thing to teach a young person yet, but you can teach them that they control and create their inner states. And you can teach them how to shorten the refractory period of those emotions. And you can teach them how to open their hearts and you can teach them how to dream and imagine. And then you can start teaching them. We did, I did this with my kids that I would set little seeds and, in different planters and a corn seed. And one seed, when they were angry and they were frustrated and they, whatever, they put all that energy into that one. And when we'd finished dinner, we'd get around and we would just, just love this one seed for the greatest good it could possibly get. And the other one we never paid attention to. And I can't tell you the number of times that seed that was getting all that negative emotion 
would get maggots or never even germinate. And the other one would sprout way ahead of the control. And my kids, you know, you give them the facts, they interpret the laws, they would kind of look at that. And I remember my daughter, my oldest son was kind of poking at her one day. And she looked at him and she said, you know, Jace, I'm not going to react to you because that wouldn't be loving to me. And and I understood that when she said that, it meant that if it did that to the seed there, I'm not going to let you do that to me. Like I'm going to stay, I'm going to be loving to me. And now, now she's a 29 year old kid and she makes every choice in her life by asking herself the question, is this loving to me? And then, and somehow she got it. Right. And so he's still poking at her. (laughs) What's that? It's still poking at her. But she remembered. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. yeah. No, no, they're best buds. But, but I think kids, you give kids the facts, they interpret the laws and in allegory and story. I mean, like, I think it's important for us as, as, as parents, like I did this with my kids for so many years, I lay in bed with them and say, tell you what, I didn't do as well as I wanted to do today. I fell from grace right around three o'clock. And I, and I talk to them as if they're an adult about myself and how I, how I could do a better job. And when I lost my patience or whatever, and then my children would start, they'd say, yeah, I lost my patience too. And all of a sudden you realize that these little beings in there are actually aware, right? They just don't have the language to explain it until you explain it to them. And then we'd, and then I would say to them, well, okay, I'm going to think about a better way that I could do it if it happens again. And then I'd say to them, okay, so if you had another opportunity to be with your friend, how would you be with her? And then say, I do this. No, no, no. Well, if you do that, it's going to be this. And so you build this little model with them and mm. the door between the conscious mind, the subconscious mind opens up right before you go to sleep. And then you tell them a story of these two kids in a faraway land where mm-hmm. there were dragons and princesses. And, and you tell the story of how this little girl had this, you know, friend and how she changed. And you're telling the story to remind them of what they're going to do. And, and you see them, you know, you, you they, they learn by allegory. It's storytelling. And my kids would have these profound, profound changes because they understood. And then I'd say to them, okay, listen, if you see me like frustrated, just kind of wink at me, just give me the wink. Just let me know. Okay. And if I see you, uh, you're getting frustrated and I'm going to stop and I'll pause and I'll look at you and I'll wink at you. And we would just do that. So let's just turn in this thing, you know, as they get older. So now to this day, you know, we wink at each other sometimes, Uh, you know, because it's just something that we just did. But, but I was, I wasn't trying to be better than them. I wanted to meet them on that level and talk about myself and then guide them up a little bit more and then meet them on that level and then guide them a little bit more. Not trying to get them there all at once, but have them make steps and have them be aware and conscious. And I know this is not the time you want to feel differently, but this is the time. This is all the practice that we've been doing before you go to bed and open your heart. Let's pause for a moment. Let's change our state. I'll do it with you. And then, then they'll say, Hey dad, take a moment with me. Come on, take a walk. Let's breathe. You know, let's get in. And there we're helping one another. So mm-hmm. it's just this kind of, because, because they understand the practice, right? And so right. they, they want to practice that all the time. And that feels better. Wow. Right? God, I, I, I thought I was a good dad. I really thought I was a good father. I mean, <laughs> this is, this is, wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> but so, so then Kate, and when they get a little older and then you start teaching them, 
uh, how their thoughts become things and how their emotions drive their thoughts and how to change their energy. And, and my kids now are all older and they create amazing things. They just don't think about it. It's just, it's why they're wired for it. So, so then, so they're creating the lives that they want. They're loving their lives into reality. They're understanding how to apply the, 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 the principles to, to see uh, the manifestations happen in their lives. And, and, and I want them to do that. That's, that's fun. Do you, right? do you, is there any problem that's insurmountable? Of course. <laughs> I mean, is there any prop? Sorry. Is there any problem that's insurmountable? I, I mean, it's, it seems like when you have that kind of an attitude, you can pretty much get through anything, not without pain, but you can get through it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I always wonder what the alternative is. Like, it's it's not going to come from wealth. It's not going to come from drugs. It's not going to come from all the things that people rely on. They, you know, most people are conditioned to to need their outer world to change their inner world, and it's it's nothing wrong with that. But when it's all said and done, people who understand that they can change their inner world and produce an effect in their outer world are less victims to their environment and more creators of their environment. And a victim is someone, if you say to them, why are you unhappy? And they'll say, I am unhappy because of that person or that circumstance. And what they're really saying is that outer environment, that outer condition is controlling my feelings and my thoughts. Well, you're giving your power away to that person or that condition. So learning how to self-regulate now and change your inner state, it feels so unnatural. But if you're gonna become supernatural, you got to start first doing what feels unnatural. And, and the training then to understand how to do that uh, all of a sudden teaches people how to change their energy and all of a sudden start connecting back to the vision of their future. And, and I want people to be, st- be able to stay conscious and, and catch themselves when they fall from grace and then, and then self-correct and, and make that change. And that's, that's the example. Sakara, I love this sponsor because I have used them in the past. They're a really good food delivery service. It's organic. It's all plant-based. plant-based. They are all about the most nutritious foods. They do the supplements. Mm-hmm. They have teas. This is all about healthy foods, nourishing foods, mm-hmm. foods that will really support your body in the most healthy way. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. T- designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion. Yeah. So you feel your best. Get your skin glowing, which I need because right now it's like I just came out of a crypt. <laughs> <laughs> I need some glow. I need some dew. This is actually perfect for you right now. I know. I know. You have just, to do it. You have to do it. And I know. this is the thing. When uh, when you have a company like this, it makes it very easy for you to kickstart something mm-hmm. like this. Eating healthy. It's all prepared for you. You know what I'm going to do? Tell me, Ollie. Well, because Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash sibling or enter code sibling at checkout. But I'm one of our listeners now because I'm, I, I'm going to do this today. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash sibling to get 20% off your first order. Sakara dot com slash sibling. People, when they're active, when they can see a result, they, you know, there's something that happens when they sort of say, oh, you know, I'm, 
initially becoming active is sometimes the beginning of their spiritual journey. You know, when you lose that 20th pound, you have like an emotional rush and it feels like you've just lost a person off your back. And then people start looking at their lives and they start looking at, you know, different kinds of spiritual practices and things like that. And I find that the the spiritual work is sometimes the hardest for people to get to because it's not as tangible. It's, it's a little bit more daunting for people. Mm-hmm. It's also very subjective, right? I mean, you, you can't measure... Uh, Many uh, changes really subjectively when a person says, oh, I just feel better. Well, what, what we want people to do is have the transformation and see the effect take place as feedback in their life, whether the side effect is a change in their health, which happens many times, mm-hmm. uh, that they, they, they have the synchronicities, the serendipities, the coincidences, the opportunities begin to show up. In their life. Once they start seeing the feedback in their life, they're going to pay attention to what they've been doing and they're going to do more of it and they're going to believe in it more a little bit more. So I think it's I think it's imperative uh that people have to turn, you know, make the change and turn that around and 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 when you do something physically and you see the change physically, you get that's the feedback you need, but when it comes to meditation and inward changes, a lot of people give up because they don't see the change as quickly as they want and they say it didn't work. No. No, it I've seen it work too many times. It's not whether it works or not. It's whether we work in doing it and doing it well. One of the things I've always said to people is that the greatest transformation I ever had was when I started meditating. That was when my life started to change. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's so cool with our community and, and you know, we have a huge community, global community. And what I'm proud of with our community is they do the work. Uh, they just do the work. And I ask them all the time. Um, you know, many of us don't miss a day and there's you know thousands and thousands and thousands. And why? Because they don't want the magic to end. Well, they're in a groove. They, they love what's happening in their life. And they're not like getting up going, oh God, I got to go connect or go create my life. They're like, I can't, I've got to keep going. And, they've, and they sat in the fire for long enough to make the significant changes. And, and they got a momentum and they don't want to lose the magic, so the mystical experiences, the synchronicities, the cool things that are happening—they're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're caught up in an energy. Every 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 time they get feedback, they're going to use that emotion of awe and wonder to drive and and make the next creation. So you just got to—you got to get—you got to get it going. And once you get it going, then you don't want to stop because you feel more balanced, you feel more poised, you feel more spontaneous, you feel more creative, you feel more intuitive. That's the side effect. Of but are there are there you, many ways to get to that place? Meaning, because you're dealing with different spiritualities, different religions, different beliefs and faiths, you know, is there is there one path or are there multiple paths? No, I mean, there's multiple paths. I mean, for me personally, I don't, I don't, you know, spend a whole lot of time studying traditional meditation. It's just not me. Uh, what we've done is we've studied a lot of brains. We've studied a lot of hearts. We've studied real-time measurements of uh, brain function. And and I want to be able to demystify it by using a contemporary language of science so that the, it, it cre- when you talk religion or tradition or culture, you divide an audience. There's a word or something that switches somebody off or they have the wrong understanding of it. But when you put it in the scientific realm, science creates community. It, it, it connects people because it transcends all the things that create separation. So, so, it is a little bit difficult and there's a lot of different ways to get there, but I'm telling you, boy, 
when people start really understanding the science of what they're doing and why they're doing it, how they can change their brain circuitry, how they can signal new genes, and you give them the, you give them the, the formula and they start practicing it, someone's going to figure it out. Uh, so, and, and when people start getting it right, it's like, uh, it's just like the four minute mile. When somebody broke the four minute mile, they said it was impossible. And then 1400 people have broken the four minute mile since then. And someone heals and you see, my God, that was, 50 brain tumors. Wow, that was leukemia. Wow, that was a osteosarcoma. And you see it go away. And you're, 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 so the person's telling their story. Uh, you, you, you got to start understanding then it's not something that is so hard to do that you have to learn. It's what we already know how to do. It's the all, all the unlearning that we have to go through to get there. Do you take people through sort of a, a retrospective of their own lives and their own? traumas and things like that? Never. 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 And no, I don't think the trauma is necessary. See, see, the stronger the emotion you feel from some event that's taken place in your life, the more altered you feel inside of you emotionally. The arousal or the, the stronger the quotient of that emotion, the more you narrow the focus on the cause and the brain freezes the frame and takes a snapshot. And that's called a long-term memory. So people then change biologically, neurologically, genetically from trauma because they keep reviewing the event in their mind and they keep producing the same chemistry in their brain and body as if the event was happening. And stimulus response, thought, feeling, memory, picture, emotion, and you start the conditioning process. And the body is so objective, it's reliving the experience a hundred times a day. But what about the subconscious? The That's subconscious what becomes subconscious. That, so you're not They're subconsciously programming their body to live in the past. This is becoming a subconscious state. They're subconsciously memorizing that emotion to be subconsciously a victim, subconsciously unhappy. It's an automatic state now. So now. But don't you have to go and break into that subconscious? So the purpose of meditation it? is to get beyond the analytical mind. And what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. And so when you teach people not have to break through anything, forget the event, just overcome the emotion. Once you overcome the emotion, you won't mm -hmm. remember the event. And the memory without the emotional charge is called wisdom. And that's the name of the game here. Now you don't mm -hmm. belong to the past. You belong to the future. And this is a, this is when people, are free. This is when their, uh, you know, the endometriosis goes away. Their suicidal tendencies change. Their their need to overeat goes away because they're happy with themselves. They're free, you know. So so when you start understanding how to control brain waves, it's not about breaking through. It's it's about getting beyond yourself, getting beyond your memory of the past, getting beyond your body, getting beyond the people in your life, the objects, the things, the places you live. You're getting beyond your neural circuitry, and when you understand how to practice that and you understand how to do it. It's like learning anything. So then you get into that operating system and now you can rehearse mentally a new program and practice it and rewrite a new program and program yourself subconsciously to something else. And, and did, uh, we see quite, Did you have like a changes. progressive sort of open upbringing? You know, I mean, were you, uh, was this ingrained in you, this sort of openness or is this long? God, no. No, God, it was, no. oh, it was. Uh, <laughs> no. no. No, I came from a traditional Italian family. Yeah. No. Um, but also my parents were super open-minded, you know, just really just, well, yeah. they just were like, yeah. wow, let's learn that. They didn't really, you know, they were just always curious. This kind of thinking could be so, so incredibly helpful. I mean, but at the same time, really 
more difficult than ever because you're going to have so many people out of work, so many people afraid for their, you know, livelihoods, not knowing mm -hmm. where their next paycheck will be coming from, trying to figure out how to deal with government, you know, handouts and things like that. How does one who's dealing with that kind of stressor. Oh yeah, I mean what it's it's, it's so true, Kate. I mean, it, to just to put it put it you know, just sort of point blank, it's like people are going to be like, I can't fucking meditate. I can't deal with this shit right now. I have I don't have a paycheck. Yeah, okay. I, I how am I supposed to be fucking happy? It's not even a possibility right now. Uh when people are uh uh threatened and the situation heightens emotions, of course, um, they're going to be in survival most of the time. And, and yes, uh, they, uh, that's not unnatural. Uh, but um, we have to become creative. We have to become resourceful. Uh, we have to think outside the box. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be a challenging time for a lot of people. And those people um, will have alternatives. I mean, they may need medication to, to balance themselves. If they can't overcome themselves, then they should. Uh, they should use medications if it helps them to regulate back into balance. And, and people should use all the tools they can to cope with the current situation and therapy and everything else. And I'm offering one way to help people uh, cross that river. And, um, and again, it takes a great effort uh, to convert from uh, those survival emotions, those stress emotions into other emotions. Uh, but um, uh, I'm offering one alternative, but people should do all the things they need to do to keep themselves chemically in balance, physically in balance and emotionally in balance. Yeah. And I, I guess what I'm saying t is that this is the kind of work that I think, especially now could really be more important than ever. Yeah. You know, because it's something that doesn't cost anybody anything to be their own architect. Doesn't cost anybody to take that moment in their life and just settle themselves and start learning a new way of being. I would just mm -hmm. say that the work that you do is something that I hope that people look into. I want people to have the tools. I mean, I, I do want people to have the tools. And uh, again, you know, um, if you're starting with meditation and you're in survival or you're, you know, you're, you're hit by the, the, the present global crisis um, and you have no experience doing it, it, you have to learn, it might be a little bit more challenging for you. But those people who have dabbled in it, those people understand how to create uh, changes in their brain and body, um, this will be instrumental to them. They'll, they'll say, I'm not gonna react in fear, I'm gonna change my state. and. Uh, I don't know if I can control everything in my outer world, but I certainly can control enough in my inner world. And I think that's when you start mastering your environment is when you, you start mastering yourself in that way. And so that's not for everybody. Um, but for the people who are interested in it, they see it, they see it as a challenge. They see it as an initiation. And, and um, those challenges, I think, cause us to grow in, in ways we've never, uh, ever, ever thought of. And, and we're, we're forced as, as a species uh, to to have to grow in, in, in new ways. What, as a neuroscientist, what are your thoughts on psychedelics? Mm. Well, um... Interesting question, Oliver. Those... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> <laughs> those, those uh, well, if you have receptors in your brain um, for those particular chemicals, that means your brain probably 
is an endogenous uh, machine that makes the same chemicals. And so there's a little gland in the back of your brain called the pineal gland, and it's a, it makes serotonin and melatonin. And, and those are the brain chemicals that change your brain waves to wake up in the morning and to go to sleep at night. And, and the psychedelics fit in the same receptors. Uh, many of them fit in the same receptors as serotonin and melatonin, but they carry a different message. And so it opens up the door uh, to perception. And uh, your pineal gland actually makes those uh, chemicals that create the mystical experience or the transcendental moment. Um, but I, I think it's a really great way for people to have an insight or a different way to view the world outside of their current neurological circuitry or neurochemistry. Um, and I do think it opens the door for people to have uh, a greater understanding. Uh, I I'm challenged by it when people use it all the time uh, to escape from their disease or to escape from their life, then all of a sudden it's no longer ritualistic. It no longer has meaning. It's just, it's, it's used in, in a very limited way, but when it's created in ritual and ceremony and people have meaning behind it and they're, and they're given certain guidance. Uh, I think uh, it, it, it can create a, a great paradigm shift for a person, but I always warn people, you know, just because you have an insight doesn't mean it changes behavior. The insight should be something that changes you, that when you walk back into your life, you're transformed in some way and you're different from the experience. You're more aware, you're more, you know more, uh, you understand more, some veil, some conditioning, some illusion has been removed. And, and now you're, now you're, you're more engaged in uh, something that, that called life that appears to be some filters been taken away. I think, I think it's healthy for people to do that just but not to not to uh, escape from the right. right but so, but emotions. in the medic in the medicinal sense, as you're sort of speaking of, you do think that it is it can be expanding, not just for a recreation, but something that is even deeper for your psyche, for your mind. Sure, sure. I mean, yes, absolutely. There's been some good research done out of John Hopkins, uh, John Hopkins, and I, I've actually I know some of the scientists there, and and. Um, uh, they noticed that people who never really took any drugs in their life, uh, people that were a middle class, upper middle class people that were high functioning people um, that, you know, had hard knocks in life, but, you know, they, they did well. Uh, those people that had never ever had any type of experience with drugs had the most profound experiences because it was so virgin and so new to them. And they just had a huge paradigm shift. So. So, I mean, yeah, we want people to see a glimpse of reality uh, from a different place and, and experimenting with that, as I said, uh, to open the door uh, can, can really alter, uh, alter people's perceptions. How about your family? Like, do you and your wife fight? <laughs> I mean, how does that work? You're so evolved and I'm not, I'm not claiming that you're inhuman, of course, but you have so much feeling with this that are you irrational and are you, do you catch yourself? And you're like, Oh shit, Dr. Joe, what the hell are you doing? man? Calm down. Calm the fuck down, Dr. Joe. I don't, uh, no, not, I'm not, no, I think I've owned a lot of that personally. I mean, I've sat, I've sat long and, and hard uh, with myself. So I think I've really, I, I, I don't think it's a problem to react. I think the question is how long you react. Uh, and it's not, it's not suppressing emotions or holding back from emotions. It's moving through them uh, quickly. Uh, because if you can't control your emotions and you allow those chemicals to run for hours or days, that's called a mood. And you say to someone, what's wrong with you? They say, I'm in a mood. Why are you in a mood? And they say, oh, this thing happened to me five days ago, which means they're having one 
long emotional reaction for five days. You keep that same chemical response going on for weeks or months. That's called the temperament. Why is he so angry? I don't know. Let's ask him, why are you so angry? This thing happened to me 10 months ago and I'm memorizing my emotional reaction. You keep the same emotional reaction going on for years on end. That's called a personality trait. And so I think I just know enough now to know that it never turns out like trial and error. You just kind of learn that none of that really makes a difference and not even holding a grudge because the only person that it affects is you, you know? So, so for me, I mean, um, I'm definitely just a normal guy. I I mean, there's things I love, (laughs) but, uh, but I'm, but I'm certainly interested in the, in the process and, and of, um, of, uh, human potential and transformation. What and, about and your kids? Were your kids ever like dad when they're teenagers, just like dad, okay, we know we need to do this. Da, 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 but just no, I never did alone. that. No, no, I never, I never did that with my kids. No. I never, never did that. I, I would sit them down never when they were emotional, but I would say, I want to teach you some things that I've been thinking about. Yeah. And, and I'd sit down and I'd get out a board, a whiteboard and I just, they would all just sit there and just listen to me. And, 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 I never really wanted to instruct them or teach them when there was chaos. I wanted to just move through whatever. And then when we're all settled down, I'd say, hey, we, I think we can do better. I just yeah. think that I, I, I could do better. How about you guys? And so so I want I want to have numerous opportunities uh, to get it right, you know, and, and, and with my kids, I wanted to just have times where I taught them. And at the end of some of the conversations with my kids, I remember them saying, that was the best hour of my life. They wow. would say that to me. That was the best hour of my life because I was giving them information about themselves to understand, you know, like, well, wait a second. Does that mean that? Yeah, that means that. Well, does that mean this? Yeah, that means that. Wow, how that how old were they, though? You know, just for even myself and for everyone maybe listening, like how old were your kids at that point? Do they have to have be of a certain age to really grasp these concepts? Seven, six, seven. Wow. Yeah, okay. seven. They started, they started getting interested, yeah. God, can my kids come live with you just for like two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> just two weeks. <laughs> uh-huh. well, you know, you know, we were we before this uh, whole global thing happened. We we because of by popular demand. I mean, we listened to our community, and one of the things our community demanded from us uh, was a parent and kids workshop, and we were uh, working on doing one in San Diego, and um, and then we we were going to do it in Chicago, and just because of. Uh, the way things are. So we've postponed it, but, um, we have now, when we do our week long events, we have eight and 10 year old kids, uh, come to our events with their parents and they go through all, they, they hang in there with the whole week and they're pretty cool. I mean, you know, I always look at these kids going thinking, wow, who are these kids going to be, uh, when they grow up and, and they get it, you know, they don't have a whole lot of baggage and, and they love, you know, doing the work and it's kind of fun to see. So we're going to start doing parents and uh, kids workshops. It'll be That's called a, Supernatural. Such Parents. a great awesome. idea. That's a great idea. You know, because I, it, it, you know, I was saying before we, we came on with Kate, you know, I was talking about Wilder and he's going through puberty right now. Like it's just beginning. He's 12, but he's just starting to be a dick all of a sudden. I'm like, he's like just being a dick. You know, what exactly is happening in his brain right now from a neurological fire. standpoint. Okay. What is so happening? He's, he's going through a lot of pruning. He's losing half of his brain circuitry right now. <laughs> and his testosterone levels are causing him to kind of go inward, to speak less, yeah. uh, to feel more insecure around his friends, comparing his friends to him. Um, one of the things that we do, that we, we do these teen workshops all over the world. Last one we did was in Mexico City. 
And one of the things that we love to do with kids is to teach them about their biology from 12 years old to 19 years old and talk about all the things that their parents never talked to them about. And you go over testosterone, you go over progesterone, you go over estrogen, you go over all these different things that happen to, to, you know, to, to, to their biology. And they get so into it and they laugh and they, they understand. And one kid posted um, on Facebook, on his Facebook, he said, hey, mom, now I understand why I blow you off. Testosterone levels, 20 times normal. We got to talk. <laughs> we got to talk. So they understand, like, oh, fuck, this is, excuse That's my language. So it's, it's, it's not, it's no, not, no, no. it's not me. It's my biology. This is what yeah. happens. This is part of it, you know? And so, so, um, so the kids get it when they start getting their yeah. biology and then you teach them about leadership and you teach them about values and you teach them how to create reality and teach them the formula and you teach them how to go into trance and change their brainwaves. And they come up to you at the end of the event and they're like, dude, listen, I thought my parents were hippies and weirdos and going to your events. And now we totally love this, man. It makes so mm -hmm. much sense. And, and now there's a, you know, families are coming and that, and, and, and that's, uh, a dream of mine, you know, one of that's the cool. dreams. To see, that's to awesome. See but what's the best way to handle the, the the puberty stage? Like, you know, when they get withdrawn, you're just sort of, because uh, I probably do all the wrong things because I'm like, Wilder, fucking just talk to me, dude. No, no, like, no, no, no. Listen, because Wilder, I know I'm Wilder doing it wrong. Wants, yeah, he wants his independence. In yeah, fact, okay. the whole reason he's shutting you out is because he thinks you're the biggest nerd weirdo. Uh, not like, possible. Idiot. Have you, he thinks. Have you, he, have you he, seen he, me? I mean, look <laughs> at this background. <laughs> no, but 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 a, 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 a pubescent boys think their fathers are idiots. Their parents are idiots. They don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about. And then the father tries to move closer and looks more like an idiot, right? And uh, and the truth is, they just want to be left alone. And so, um, you check in with them but you, you cut them the space. And then there's times where they have their space. Then there's times where they don't, don't have their space. They have to engage. There's times when they have to communicate. There's times where they have to work and produce. And those are all part of the things you have to help them through. And there's just, you help them through with one attitude or another. But but if he's, if he's 12 and it's just starting to happen, oh, wait till he gets mm -hmm. to be 14. You think he blows uh, you off now? Yeah. I have <laughs> yeah. a 16-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Kate knows all about it already. <laughs> it's a really hard time, especially, I think, for boys it's it's hard the social circles keeping mm -hmm. up with those yeah. things um and and their access uh, to technology you know i mean i, I wrote an article a ways back uh, and um it was called kidnapped by technology and and one of the interesting things about raising kids with technology is that uh when they game or when they play uh, or they even text that um the act of breaking through or overcoming or winning or anything uh, releases dopamine in the brain and not a little dopamine, but a lot of dopamine. And dopamine is a pleasure chemical. And the reward centers get stimulated. And uh, what happens is the rush of that much dopamine uh, to the cell is, is overwhelming. So the cell closes down. And it means that the next time it's it needs more of that stimulation to switch it on. It's like living with a spouse that always yells at you. It's, they got to yell louder to get your attention. Cells get desensitized. And so the pleasure centers in the brain get recalibrated to a higher and higher level. So in the absence of that stimulation, they can't find pleasure from anything. So walking the dog or going to see their grandmother or, 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 
Yeah, it's an addiction. It's an addiction. The sea of sunset is just boring because they just blew up a nation or they just <laughs> broke through, you know. And so now you yeah. look at you look at we look at learning, right? And learning should be a reward in and of itself. And they can't pay attention because they can't switch their brain on because it's been overstimulated. So the only way they switch their brain on is to get in trouble, to act out, to get a rush of adrenaline, to switch on that alarm system just for a momentary rush of awareness. And so now you fast forward the kid to an adult and they're facing challenging or difficult situations in their life and they're subconsciously programmed to need something in their outer world to change their inner world. But their, their pleasure centers are hijacked to such a high level that nothing's switching them on. Now, what's the alternative? You know, I mean, it's unfortunate, but you start, you start believing in the thoughts that you're thinking and, and, and you can't, you can't get, you, you can't get pleasure out of anything. And that's called adhedonia. And that's an unfortunate circumstance. But, uh, when you can't finally get happy, you're, you're scary. <laughs> Before we get going, I do want to talk about little like childhood, uh, children, child anxiety, just only because we were saying before, again, Kate came on that Wilder, my my oldest, sort of has that and it's sort of around his health, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and you see it manifest itself. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm doing an okay job with dealing with it, but what's the best way to sort of go about dealing with that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think that he is it's it's anxiety but there's also a part of you and kate you can probably relate to this where you're like well maybe it's not like should we get his stomach you know an mri on his tummy well more than likely ali if he has anxiety uh then he's in his mind picturing a very very um, worst case scenario in his mind and he's making that thought so real that his brain is producing the chemistry as if he was living in that future, that worst case scenario in the present moment. And he's feeling the fear of the outcome before it's happened, right? And stimulus response, he's conditioning his body to subconsciously become the mind of fear. And the rush of the adrenaline starts to become a little bit addictive. And so uh, he has to keep signaling the same chemistry uh, to arouse him because he becomes almost like an addict de- dependent on that emotional state. So it makes sense then to lay down in bed with him uh, before he goes to sleep and uh, start talking about you and just start talking about what bothers you and what, what you're afraid of and, and and give him an opportunity when he's ready to, to talk about what it is that he's afraid of and what it is that's creating it. And sometimes he's just out of balance because Kids that are addicted to technology or dependent on technology, they need that fast stimulation. They, and when they can't get the fast stimulation uh, from their technology, they get vigilant. You know, they get anxious. Uh, and, that, and that becomes uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, of a challenge, especially as their testosterone levels go up, then everything becomes heightened, right? Everything becomes overly stimulated. So I think if you find the cause of this fear and you can work with him and not just analyzing the fear that does nothing, but giving him tools and solutions on how to change the emotion to love and learn how to teach him how to open his heart and say, this is what I do and let's practice it together and let's see what happens. And I'm learning it too. And, and um, he'll remember and he'll love you for that because uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning he'll think it's corny, but in, in time he'll really start uh, uh, 
uh, coming to you. Yeah, and you I try, and I feel like I have to force him sometimes to yeah. say, hey, you know, you just keep keep going with me here. We need to yeah. keep these five minute meditations a night. And you know, it's funny actually because <laughs> I was tr- I, I I I tried to do that where I re- try to relate to him in some way because I was an anxious kid and I had a bout of major anxiety in my early twenties, and um, I tried to relate to him. And one night he thought, he said to me, he goes, Dad. Look, you always tell me this, that you had it too, but I'm not you. And I was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, maybe you're right here. He goes, I don't, I don't feel the same way that you feel. We're different. And he became my teacher in a way. I was like, oh, well, maybe you're right, buddy. But I mean, but, but if he's living in fear, then his, his, his digestive system will be altered because it goes counter. You, the, uh, uh, when you're in survival, when you're in fear, the, the, an animal doesn't eat in fear. An animal runs, hides, or fights. And, and uh, so if you stay in fear all the time, uh, blood flow leaves your digestive system. You it goes to your extremities. To women. And so <laughs> you're, you're not in the state to metabolize. You're not in a state mm-hmm. for healing. And so the condition becomes very psychosomatic, mind-body, because his body he's knocking his body out of balance by thought alone and um uh if if that's the case then um uh, the body's not in a healthy state to to metabolize and and mm. so yeah he'll have difficulty mm. with digestion cool wow fascinating <laughs> What about gifted children? You know, children who are just extremely gifted um you know what what what's going on in their brains at that young of an age you well, know it depends mean, depends i mean if you're talking about a savant um someone who's you know uh, very very gifted in the but but not very functional um in daily life well very different uh wired very differently than than most people uh but very talented children um they, they just have the natural capacity to learn, to remember, and to execute and to, to do. I mean, they, 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 they process very, very quickly. Uh, and, and um, wow, then you see children that, that are like uh, on the autistic spectrum that also have a very over-focused frontal lobe, very active frontal lobe, and they're like Asperger's, super, super focused uh, very focused kids and they can focus on one thing for a very, very long period of time and, and uh, figure things out. So, I mean, uh, I mean there's just so many, there's so many variations. Yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. about, you know, I love moon cycles, solar cycles. Do you believe that there's any science behind any of those things or is that all just sort of like... Uh... Yeah, I'm not a big fan of... Um, <laughs> of, of uh, horoscopes and in planets. Let me tell you why. And it's not to say that I that I don't believe that there's cyclical things that happen. But the person, say, who, for example, who's obsessing about their life and lives in anxiety, and finally has a panic attack, and they go to the psychic, and the psychic says that Mercury is in retrograde, and that's the reason for their panic attack, and to stay home for the next six months. That person's giving their power away to a planet. And they're not giving their, themselves the understanding that they have the power to change. And they'll stay home for six months because their, their psychic told them that. And, and people, you know, they, I think they use some of that as an excuse. And, and um, so I have, some, I have some challenges with that when, when people, um, when they excuse themselves. And, and meanwhile, they're mismanaging their thoughts and emotions. And it's the whole reason for their anxiety is because of that. And, and so, 
Uh, I don't. I just don't know enough about it mm-hmm. from a scientific standpoint. But what I know about that- like women's? For instance, like women were very complex and and how we work, but we do actually cycle a lot of times, whether it be with tide or with the, the moon cycles, and you know how we connectively when we're tra- like whenever I'm traveling with. You know, we there's there ha- there is some connectivity to sure an sure. energy, the, yeah, right. The- well, like well, the Earth has its electromagnetic field, and its field is influenced by other large bodies. And I do think that in periods where the electromagnetic energy on the Earth is at its height, uh, there's also a, a lot of um, global activities that happen as well. So, so I I do think that there are cycles. I do think that we entrain. In cy- everything's a cycle in a rhythm and a pattern and a cir- and a, whether it's a circadian rhythm whether it's a lunar pattern I mean I think we're all cycles within cycles within cycles so uh, I do think that there's a rhythm uh, that that causes us to respond to uh, to it but uh, I don't excuse myself and say oh I'm not going to create today because it's a you know Mercury's in retrograde I wouldn't say that I create in spite I'm of not it. supposed to sign contracts in April <laughs> oh, that's crazy that's crazy you know what oh. I'm gonna sign I'm not, contracts on Thursdays are bad days for me I don't, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> we'll show up to a, work that, we'll make that's it a crazy. great day we'll change that <laughs> right you got the power to change that Joe what that, do you do every morning how long do you spend a day doing your work creating your future Ooh, okay. Good question. No, I, I allow for uh, two hours uh, typically uh, in the morning for myself. And I allow for two hours. Doesn't mean I take two hours, but I like to have my time in the morning. I get up early uh, and that's my time. Uh, and the rest of the day I'm serving and the rest of the day uh, I'm, you know, I'm doing my thing. So, but in the morning is my time. And some days I slip in and it's beautiful and it's easy and I have time to do other things and other days I have to work to find the present moment and get beyond myself. But, uh, if I allow for two hours, uh, I usually, usually, um, uh, uh, have a, uh, enough time to, to make the, and is the, it, is it a practice? I mean, do you, oh, are, yeah, are you, yeah, you have, do yeah. you have a, like a practice that you do every morning? It doesn't vary. No, no, no. I mean, I do different things. I create okay. different things. Um, I mean, there's so much, so much to our work and so much to what I do, but I do like, um, uh, to uh, open my heart every day um, to to life, and I understand the value of uh, that creative center, and I understand what it does to our immune system, and to our gene expression, and to our health. Uh, and um, I want to start my day from my heart. I want to I want to lead with my heart in my life, and then and then I I practice a breath to uh, draw energy into my brain. Uh, and then I practice a technique uh, called an open focus to create brain coherence. Uh, and then when I get beyond myself, uh, and I'm in the field instead of connected to matter, then I, I change my energy and I start creating, I start creating things I want in my life. When was the last time you honked at someone? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think I, well, first of all, I know this sounds crazy, but I don't drive very much because I'm very, I'm on the road 300 days a year. So, so oh, this wow. is, this is cool that I'm home, you know, for a while. Now. Uh, Serendipity, happenstance, coincidence. Is this just the definition of the word or is there something bigger to this? I oh, mean, my God. We need a bottle of wine in two hours for that one, bro. I'll let, okay, I'll call you back. <laughs> I mean, no, listen, listen, I mean, when you synchronize your energy to a future uh, and you understand how to create, when, you're, when you open your heart, 
The research shows that when energy makes it to the heart, the heart begins to produce an external magnetic field that's up to three meters wide. Now you have a field to connect to something. That, that, that energy is a frequency, and frequency carries information. And you have a coherent brain, and you can lay a coherent thought on that frequency. You're broadcasting a whole new signature into the field. You're synchronized. You've got a Wi-Fi signal. And you can synchronize the information. So when you synchronize by combining a thought and a feeling, a clear intention with an elevated emotion, you're changing your energy. And if you can synchronize your energy, you should see synchronicities in your life. There should be coincidences. And coincidences is kind of like a, ah, uh, like you're kidding me. I was mm -hmm. just thinking of that. Or, or something is giving you feedback to let you know that you're synchronized. And so mm. we want those bigger events to synchronize when, when the, when you have like, Oh my God, that was the most incredible mystical experience of my life. And I didn't even take any plant medicine. My pineal gland made it for me, but I've been practicing awakening that center or the new job, the new career, the new life, the new, the, the, the new relationship, the heal, the change in your body is it's energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. And, and if you're thinking and feeling the same way every day, then your energy is the same and, and you exert very little effects on your life. So change your energy and understand how to apply those two principles, then the synchronicities are letting you know that you have a coherent signal and you're synchronized to the future. And the more refined and coherent that gets, the better, the better the synchronicity, the better the coincidence, mm. the better the opportunity. So, it's, it's, so it's, it can be a measurement in a, in a way. I see it as a measurement that tells me, it lets me know that um, I'm getting feedback in my life. And, and I'll, be, I'll believe tomorrow I'm more of the creator of my life and less of the victim of my life. Mm -hmm. The victim is the environment that's controlling my feelings and my thoughts. The creators, my feelings and thoughts are changing my environment. And you gotta, I want to mm -hmm. practice that. I want to practice that enough times that I get good at it. That's amazing. And I will just say that, again, I, I left Hoffman after these seven days, and I had so much synchronicity and coincidence and happenstance in my life that it was mind-boggling to me, yeah. Yeah. where I would just be dumbstruck by it. I couldn't even believe it myself. And, and it, does, it did fade. <laughs> yeah. I have to get back to that place, I guess. That's because, uh, because your environment started to control your feelings and thoughts again, right, and you return right. back to the same person, right? Yeah. I actually got Oliver. Yeah. I, just was in, I was in New York, and I was, went to this uh, shop, and I bought Oliver a Christmas present. And oh. it was funny because I just, I bought it. It was wild because I just bought it because it felt like Oliver and it just, I don't know, I just loved it so much. And I thought he would love it, even though it was this little plate. It was a little plate with a tree on it mm -hmm. and it had this saying on yeah, it. Yeah, but and, the best part um, about it, there were so many different symbols that were so representative of how, of my transformation and who I felt I was now. But the best part about it was this beautiful plate was was just totally imperfect it was wobbly and didn't sit right and it, it the, the 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 design of the plate the throw of the plate itself just exemplified everything that is perfect this the imperfections of it all nice. you know nice. it was awesome really amazing nice. if you could leave us with something for our listeners maybe just like one little thing they could do to improve their future selves. Yeah, try it out. Wake up in the morning and ask yourself this simple question. What is the greatest ideal of myself? What is the greatest expression of myself that I can be today? Let me become conscious of how I don't want to think. I just want to become so conscious of those thoughts 
I won't go unconscious to them. I won't let them slip by my awareness unnoticed. Let me become aware of how I speak, how I act. Let me become so conscious that I'm not going to complain or blame or make excuses or feel sorry for myself. Let me become aware of the emotion that I feel on a daily basis. Is this guilt? Is this shame? And and I want to become so conscious of these states of mind and body, I won't go unconscious. And then who do I want to be when I open my eyes? What thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain? What, what behaviors do I want to demonstrate in, in this day? And the act of closing your eyes and mentally rehearsing who you want to be when you open your eyes, all the things you're going to do, begins to install the neurological hardware in your brain to look like you already did it. And if you keep doing it, the hardware will become a software problem and you'll start acting like that naturally. And then ask yourself, am I going to wait for my wealth to feel abundant or am I going to generate abundance? And and then decide how you're going to condition your body into the emotion of your future and do not get up until you feel that way. And then practice staying in that state of being your entire day. And as an experiment, see what type of changes happen around you as a result of your change uh, in your mind and body. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I'm doing it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, practice. It'll be cool. I'm You'll going do... to wake up. Yeah. And that awesome, will be man. my. This is great. So cool. Thank All right, you, Dr. You guys. Joe. This was on another level, buddy. Okay, Thank you're you. Welcome. Thank you. All right. Nice to meet you. Well. Nice to meet you. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson, Oliver Hudson, and Sim Sarna. Supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.